Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. And welcome to the Ashley Webster Experience along with Brian Solomons. Great guest today. His name is David Webb. You've heard of David Webb. He's been on the airwaves we were just working it out before the uh, podcast. 33 years. Originally wow. he said 25. But then he said, wait a minute. It goes all the way back to 1986. So I made that 33 years, David. You it was to... music radio. We lost a couple of years. Okay. Ago, so you, have to, you have to carry the one. <laughs> yeah. Now, most of this has been uh, in politics, right? And you're a conservative kind of guy. Even in my music radio days, I knew who I was politically in college. I was a college Republican co-chairman. And I got a surprise for a lot of people out there. The music industry is a lot more libertarian and conservative people than they can imagine. I can imagine. So how did you take that path in your life? What's made you a conservative? Well, the conservative part's based on my principles. My parents never pushed me into any particular political belief. Uh, They were and are conservative-minded, or like any family. There's liberal, conservative, everywhere in between. But they said... Know where you belong, why you're there, think it through, and if you can rationalize it, then that should be your choice. And as someone who watched, you know, the early days and, of course, President Reagan Mm -hmm. and what was going on prior to that, and as someone who was, you know, in the military in the early days of my life for a very short time, it kind of all came together. But more than that, it was the business for me. I love business. You love capitalism. My, my first business I built at 16 and a half years old. Hmm. I still have my very first business card, Neon Visions, and I built a lighting operation out hmm. of a chemistry experiment and turned it into a business. So business to me and the right side of the aisle and the free market and capitalism, that all came together, but there was something else. I watched the destruction of an island called Jamaica. Mm-hmm. My, I was born in Jamaica. My family's from both the United States through our revolution and Jamaica. Right. And we're tied closely to the history of Jamaica. And I watched socialism destroy Jamaica. Yeah. And I said, this is the wrong way to go. And ever since, you've been preaching the conservative Absolutely. view of the world. And have you ever, ever wavered? You've always no. been true to that? No, never. I knew where I believed. Look, the Republican Party has its challenges. It's not perfect. But if I have to choose between the conservative approach to life and the the liberal approach of just basically making government the decider, the determiner of need, uh, that there are bureaucracies that control your life, that's not what I want. Mm-hmm. Freedom has its risks and it has its responsibilities, but it also has its rewards. And you can afford those rewards in free markets. You can't afford them under socialism. Now, when we talk about politics over the 33 years, David, have you ever seen the kind of vitriol, the kind of anger that we're seeing in today's political world? Yes. And when? I'll, when? I'll expand on why. Yes, it's been around. And if you look at the history of this country in politics and what went on in the days of print and hand-drawn cartoons, it was probably sometimes even more offensive 
Here's what exists today. Media, technology, instant access, and the platforms. I worked in newspaper in my early days. I worked mm-hmm. for Worcester Magazine, and then I went to Worcester Telegram and Gazette and worked there for a while. And, you know, newspapers back in the early days of this country were brutal. They accused each other of infidelities. They went way beyond that. If you study political cartoons, political messaging, and in its worst form, it's not limited to the United States. The characterizations of Jews under Nazis. You look, mm. go to the Holocaust Museum. Look at what was used in the name of politics as a whole. Here in the United States, and frankly around the world now, because I follow world politics, what has happened is we have this new technology, this instant response, mm. and the vitriol can be done from an almost anonymous point of view. Whereas even back then in newspapers, they knew who the writers and the creators of these cartoons or these messages were. So it has always been that bad. It's now we have more of it. But we also have a president who likes to fuel it. He ran a campaign. He knows how to use it. And he knows how to use it. We talk about Twitter in particular. There are days when he's tweeting out nonstop, and it kind of goes straight over the head of the mainstream media and straight to his base. And 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 it's very effective. That's the big change. Back then, if you want to go back to the newspaper days Mm -hmm. and the three big networks, we'll keep it within the 20th century. You could have some control because there was a wall, a media wall. Now, with this new technology, the president says, I'm going to go out and literally I'm going to stand back here at the three-point line and (laughs) lob it up. And occasionally he puts in the net and occasionally it comes off the backboard. But he's going to do it. And, And that has turned media inward to look at itself, but not enough for doing it. Instead of taking advantage of it, Media has decided to become, in too many of their cases, adversarial to it. This is a president who the first few weeks, in, and I was down there in the White House for a number of things, mm. uh, brought in bloggers, brought in newspapers, small newspapers, small outlets. And my former producer, Caroline, who went to the White House, became director of radio. So she brought in round tables. We created that together. Mm. And with that approach... People got access to the president because they would come walking in, talk to the media outlets. Vice President Pence would do it. Cabinet secretaries would do it. This administration is actually open more if you count the minutes and the hours. They've literally given more multiple times over in access Mm. to the media. The president comes on Fox and Friends and he (laughs) talks for 51 minutes. Yeah. Uh Tell me the president who did that. He I don't think we've ever seen a president do more interviews in a three year span. Than ever before. And you would think that the media and social media would love that because you get it from the horse's mouth. Instead, they use it to attack every little word. Oh, he did this. He did that. And in his in his interview with um, with uh, Joe Scarborough. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, he asked to redo it because, you know, his chief of staff would cough during it. I mean, he want, that's a president who's looking for quality in an interview, and, we're still, and they still get mad at it. So even when he tries to give his opponents in the media good quality, they still get upset. They find a reason to get upset because oftentimes they can't attack the fact that they simply have the access. I'll give you the example of the, the Stephanopoulos interview yeah. Yeah, Stephanopoulos, in, in the Scarborough, White House, Stephanopoulos, and, I, and yeah. I wrote about this. If you listen to that audio carefully at the very first few words— mm. Stephanopoulos mentions foreigners, then he throws in a litany of things. He did a setup question. Look, I'm a professional at this. So is he. 
He knew exactly what he was doing. How could he have done it better? He could have said, Mr. President, I want to talk about foreigners, and then I want to talk about foreign governments. If you're contacted by foreigners, is it illegal to talk to them? No, it's not. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, I went over this. I wrote mm-hmm. about it. I verified those facts with an FEC commissioner, and I backed it up with the facts. But when he talked about foreigners, the president, as I titled my article, President Trump is right. You can talk to foreigners because a, contrib- a, a contribution is a thing of value under the law, mm-hmm. and a conversation is not a thing of value. And anyone can have that, con- that mm-hmm. conversation. However... $50,000 commissioned to a report from foreigners drawing on foreign government intelligence and doing other things and then fed out to the media has value, $50,000. But the media splits that apart. Mm-hmm. They go crazy and, oh, Norway and whoever. Someone calls me. Yeah. First of all, how do you know that it's information if you don't talk to them? Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. Listen. Yeah. Anything the president does or says is going to be pulled apart and criticized. We know that. I don't think he cares anymore, to be honest with you. He says what he says. He shoots from the hip. And you're right. Sometimes he hits the backboard. Sometimes it's a swoosh. But from your perspective, do you get a lot of anger against you? Do you hear from people saying, how could you, you know, agree with this president? He's a racist. He's a, you know, he's a bigot. (laughs) He's a horrible, evil person. And yet you're out there, you know, promoting his thoughts and ideas. Well, and, and this goes back to the campaign for the brief, call it elevator version of this. I have done this for years. During campaigns, I don't pick a candidate publicly. I may have my preferences. We all are entitled to that privately. But I deliberately don't say anything until the candidate is picked. And then I'm a Republican. I'm entitled, like anyone else, to support the Republican candidate because that's my preferred choice for the presidency. Donald Trump got the same treatment from me as any other candidate. And it's not that we are friends, but he knows who I am. I know him. I know some members of the staff family for years, long before, long before he became a racist by running for president. Right. I knew he's a lousy racist, by the way. (laughs) I mean, here, here, here is Trump and David Webb goofing around and he goes, Hey, go sit in my chair. Try it out. What do you think? I want both, by the way. They're very comfortable. Yeah. I'll take your word for it. Yes. So, this, this guy's a terrible racist. He really is, Brian. Because, <laughs> you know, we'll sit and talk, and, and then he'll do an interview, and oh, my God, you know. Yeah. He, 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 and he yeah. hires all these women and black people in yeah, the White House. Awful, and, and awful. And he doesn't look at them because they're women and black, but by the way, the White House is run mostly by women. I know. I know most of them. <laughs> yeah. but, but here comes a guy who I have treated him well and from policy points, and I have critiqued him mm-hmm. on policy points and differences, and I, you can say that to him. And then suddenly I join 63 million or so other people in becoming instant racist. Yep. Did you know that in America in one night we have done something the Guinness Book of World Records should be proud of? <laughs> we created more racists in one night over one vote than any other country ever in the history of mankind. So we're all deplorables if, yeah. we, if we voted for Donald Trump. Let's face it, you, you watch, you know, you're interested in world politics, which is exactly what happened in the UK with Brexit. You said yes to Brexit. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. You were a racist, a xenophobe. You hate foreigners. You're uneducated. Yeah. You, you support our buddy Nigel Farage, who's been on this. You're yeah. a racist. Same thing. Right. Yeah. You know, my main thing with Nigel is you're buying the next round. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he says, sure. Yeah, yeah, and Nigel says, sure. And you know Mark Littlewood and the rest of them. We'll go right. at it all night. But interestingly enough, I remember that. And right after the Scottish independence yes. vote, which went yes. down 
when the socialists tried to get the kids to vote themselves stupidity. Yep. That didn't work either. But Ashley, you and I know this, and I think, Brian, mm. you know it too. I talk to the people that live there, the people on the ground, on the street. And how many Brits said something very sim- similar to you? I would I would ask you a question. Yeah. Said, you know what? I'm sick of being told what I should do, what I should believe in. I have friends who live in the outer islands in Ireland mm. who've lived on this island for generations. <laughs> the EU comes in and says we're going to put in a paved road and then you maintain it. Well, now how the hell do you maintain a road on an island where you have to ferry and everything right. to fix it? These were simple things. Stop telling me what I need to do to yeah. live. Don't tell me the shape of my banana, the the, the length and color yes, of the zucchini. by unelected bureaucrats yeah. in Brussels. Who've probably never seen a banana they didn't <laughs> like. <laughs> well, you know, you know, back to the also the the racist stuff about President Trump on on our, on this show, mm. right? Herschel Walker, right, said the thing that pisses him off the most was when people say that President Trump's racist because he said, "I've known him for how many years? He's invited my family to the." to his house for breakfast, lunch, dinner. I've taken his kids to the Bronx Zoo with me. Yep. If a guy was racist, do you think he'd be no. doing that? No, no, no. I no. don't think so. No, but, but you know, this is typical of the, the politics and the mm. politics of the left, which is to put you in boxes. And Herschel, you know, I've known Herschel since college. Good guy. We've had the similar conversation. Yes. And, and he has always dealt with things from the perspective of once we were just a couple of ball players who knew each other. I'm certainly nowhere near his level. Yeah. He could still run for 200 yards. <laughs> Have you seen the guy in a jacket? Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, the point of all of this is the left has done this for years. And it's more, it's beyond Democrat as a party. It's the use of identity and segmenting people by leftists around the world, for that matter. If you remember, Marx and Engels were very careful. I know a lot of people like to talk about Alinsky. And yes, frankly, he wrote tactics that work. Mm -hmm. But Marx and Engels, even in their early days, talked about how you separate people into groups, how you're nice while they have the guns. But once you get the guns, you don't have to be nice anymore. I'm paraphrasing. But go and read the Communist Manifesto. Mm. Go and read the writings. The left in America adopts the tactics of, if you're black, you belong to us. And I criticize blacks for this overall as a group, and it's changed remarkably since my early days in politics in the 80s. But blacks gave away their political power. Because they gave their unyielding support to one party just to block overwhelmingly. Vote. Block vote for the Democrats. Right. And other groups have done the same thing, and they've come back from it or gone away from it. Mm. Blacks have not done that enough. It is happening. Blexit. Brexit is real. Blexit is real. <laughs> but it's not just about the figures or Candace or others at the front yeah. of it. It's the fact that we have a new generation that have come up and said, hang on a second, I want something more, and how do I get it for myself? A lot of college-educated blacks are not the Democrats their grandparents which, which were. Which brings me to my next question, David, the Democrat Party itself, which to me seems to have its own identity crisis right now. Those who are more moderate are very disenfranchised. They don't like the way the direction is going, and we have the AOCs of the world and some other new, newly elected Congress people who are way out there on the left, not just left-leaning, if only, right? We're they talking are way so out there. far east of Moscow, you can't even believe it. And they're getting a lot of play in the media. And some of these ideas that are, frankly, just 
off the charts are being seriously considered. And I, I truly believe they don't fully understand what they're saying, especially when it comes to how do you pay for all this? They don't have a clue. It's pandering for votes. It's the free-for-all that we're right. all wanting, free everything. And, that, you know, to young people, I'm sure that's very attractive. But at the very heart of it, to get back to the point, the Democrats are very much split, I believe, between that core that wants to go left and the others are saying, wait a minute, this isn't the party of my parents, Democrat. You right. Know, the, uh, leadership, the leadership. The leadership yes. is dragging them left. And Nancy Pelosi may be the old woman leader of the Democrat is she party. she control? AOC. Elon Omar, they're yes. the new young voices. You can throw Rashida Tlaib yep. and others in there. But what they've done is they've flipped the narrative. Remember Bernie Sanders said, Bernie Sanders said my ideas that were outside the mainstream, I'm paraphrasing again, in the last round of elections and the primaries with Hillary are now mainstream. Yes. And Hillary Clinton, who admitted that in Iowa during the caucuses, well, over 40 percent of the voters here are socialist or socialist leaning, something to that effect. So you're talking about a party that has been dragged into their own irrelevance as a national party because they don't reflect, and this is key, the actual voter who's close to the ground and the voter out there. Leadership is one thing. Messaging is another. Yes, there are the willfully ignorant and those who have been groomed to believe that way. Mm. But the majority of Democrats in this country, and I travel and I talk to so many mm. of them, and they stop me and they talk to me and they, they call my show. I was a Democrat. Then I saw what was going on and I went, I'm an American. Look, I don't need you to become a Republican. Nope. I want you to choose first to be an American. And that's what a lot of Democrats are doing. Well, let me ask you, you said the average Democrat does not like this. And you said the leadership, Pelosi's not going to, isn't moving towards too far to the left compared to AOC and the mm-hmm. younger ones. But are Tlaib and AOC just the loudest? Does that, ref, do they reflect the average Democrat congressman, congresswoman, senator? Because to me, it just seems like there's those three new, new kids on the block. They're just they're, yelling they're the on new faces, media. but there've yeah. been the old faces before. One of the one of the biggest tragedies is in Congress now since the civil rights era, and that is the Congressional Black Caucus, because their socialist ideals, their socialist leanings, their far left progressivism has been damaging this country for decades. Now we have a new face. So it's no longer Clyburn and Lewis and the others. Somebody will all go, but they were part of the civil rights struggle. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your work. Thank you for what you did back then. It didn't give you the right to be the power bosses, to literally use your power to help yourself and not those you claim to help. Mm. We have seen the destruction of the NAACP from what it was supposed to be to what it is today, which is an arm of the leftist wing of the Democrat Party. They have embraced a racist in Al Sharpton. They have embraced a racist in Louis Farrakhan. And they come out and tell us that they are our betters. The new faces have taken over, but I'll tell you about Pelosi. It's an interesting dynamic Mm. with her. She's a power player. Let's not kid ourselves. Mm. She will let people go to a point, and then she'll pull them back. That's been her history. This might be the first time Pelosi cannot pull them back. And that's because the old dogs and the new pups have taken the Democrat Party to the point where these candidates are now running they're actually running to the left of each other. 
We're selling freedom as Americans. They're selling free stuff. I don't understand, though, David, how the concept of socialism, the idea that government can take care of you, how on earth can that be a, a radical, you know, a rational uh, a thought in this day and age? You know the government is inefficient, will overspend, is, is you know, going to kill you in taxes and regulation and all the things. And if you think the government is going to look out for you and do better for you, you I just I, I can't in my mind understand why these people believe that is a solution. A solution in a country like America, where free enterprise and the ability you started your business as a young man and the ability to just you know the, the the sky's the limit and beyond, and yet you want the government, the cold dead hand of government, to come in and basically tell you what you can and can't do. Why there is that are, appealing? There are many people that are – the word lazy comes to mind because they want the easiest life. And it, There are people with ambitions. There are ambitious people who want to go out and take charge of their lives and take risk. There are a fair amount of people that are lazy, lazy in the sense that they either haven't been shown that there is a path of ambition and accomplishment. Those are the ones that you sell that government will take care of you. And we have people now that have been raised in an education system of safe space and there's an equal outcome because they're enjoying their little practiced socialism while their Mm. parents fund their lives or they get a loan and they really don't see it for what it is, a debt, something due, something to be paid. So they don't have the perspective and the understanding of it. So there's a willful ignorance and a deliberate ignorance. You said rationale, um, Ashley. Yeah. The left, the socialists, can never sell you rationale. They can sell you emotional. Because if you rationalize it with the economic equation, right? Yeah. If you put the economic equation behind government spending cost, indebtedness, loan, repayment, all these things, the economics, you you don't need a degree in economics. You need a basic degree in algebraic, what I like to call algebraic (laughs) economics. Can you do the math? (laughs) <laughs> on this and tell me how it pays for itself. Right. They'll say, but it works. And they'll point to an example that is less than 40 to 50 years. But eventually, Margaret Thatcher was yep. right. So was Friedman mm-hmm. Laffer. Congratulations to my yeah. friend Art for his latest award. Uh, he's earned it. Mm-hmm. But you eventually run out of other people's money. Your country eventually collapses. Greece didn't collapse since the EU. Greece collapsed because when Syriza... The Mm -hmm. Communist Party died 70 plus years ago. Effectively, they waited their turn for the new generation with the new EU. They resurged and became a one vote majority in the parliament. Mm. But they needed people that were incapable and basically guided to this idea that free would work out in the short window. But it took 70 years to die. Could these just be campaign promises because they sound so appealing, but these candidates don't have any plan of actually seeing them out because you're telling me i mean bernie sanders is not a dumb guy you can't tell me he's a dumb guy but the math doesn't add up with a lot of these things you do you really think that he's do you think he could just be saying these as promises just to get elected so three components i would put in there power Mm -hmm. intelligence and ideology some are seeking the power Mm -hmm. right we've known people who have sought power 
on both sides of the aisle mm-hmm. or on all sides of any political spectrum, and they do whatever it is to keep their power, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of the Washington, D.C. rule. One, get elected and then reelected at any cost, even if you have to throw grandmother under the bus. And, you know, to, to use the pretty analogy, you, how they tell you that prostitution and politics are the world's two oldest professions <laughs> and how much one resembles the other and you decide which one. <laughs> well, in Washington, D.C., it's a whorehouse and you want to be the handsomest guy or girl in the whorehouse, which means you want the biggest donors, you want the power, yeah. you want to walk into the room, you're a rock star, you have honorable senator, congressman, representative. So that's the whorehouse of Washington. And what do you do to maintain that? You do whatever it's needed to keep that. That's power. There's intelligence. Bernie's not dumb. But I don't know whether Bernie is overridden by his ideology, which has existed Mm. since his youth and driven his policies, even as mayor of Burlington, Vermont, or if he has come to the point of it's really just about power, I'm the leader of a movement, I'll never be president, but I'll maintain my power and I'll hand it off to the AOCs of the world. Mm-hmm. So when you look at intelligence, power, and ideology, mm-hmm. you'll find some components mm-hmm. in there, Brian. Well, let me ask you this too. How does the financial collapse of 2008 play into all this socialism rhetoric? Because we're going to see this, I think that it's the largest uh, – group of young people voting in a presidential election ever, just by numbers. Those people are the ones that grew up. Their parents lost the house. Their father lost their their job. Their mother got fired, whatever it is. So they experience impact from a huge financial collapse. Does that play into the appeal of socialism, or are people actually going to run away from it in this election? No. You know, millennials aren't as stupid as— Sometimes they're portrayed in the media. I agree. No, I agree. They're they're not. They're not. I've been to these college campuses, these Bernie rallies, as you know. Mm -hmm. I've gone out there with the camera crews from the network and the security. (laughs) Uh, And I've even debated economics professors on University of Madison campus and other things at these rallies, and they lose. (laughs) Millennials are seeing something else right now, and I don't know how it plays out. You're right about the largest block, but not necessarily the largest percentage because their voting shifts 1% to 2% rather than the 3 to 5% it generally takes, and we've seen that in the past two elections. Mm. So there are those, and I think more than there are, even though they're louder, to your point about the louder voices, yeah. that will go out and vote on the possibility. Because not everybody's a Harvard-educated elitist or an Ivy School elitist. Nothing wrong, by the way. Those are good schools. They have some bad people there and some (laughs) teachers that I would throw out. Mm. But there are more people in colleges, universities, high schools, trade schools, trade associations, all different levels in this country. And union workers, UAW workers, I, I, they've worked with our charities for years. I can point to areas of Michigan that switched their vote, largely Democratic areas. Why? Because they're all looking at kitchen table. Those are the level issues that they're looking mm-hmm. at. And millennials do see that. Look, if, if you're a millennial, you vote, you and five of your friends graduate from college. You have whatever thousands of dollars of debt. Right. One of you doesn't have debt. But three of you are working in bars as bartenders, and the other two are working on your careers. Those two working on their careers are what the bartenders are looking at, not the ones working on their careers looking at the bartender. Yep. And they're going to ask the question of their friends, how did you get that? Mm-hmm. That question's fundamental. And right now, the, the president and the Republicans, 
can ask the question, who among you? I'm gonna I'm gonna switch Reagan's phrase around a little bit. Michael, I'm sorry. I know your dad said it, but <laughs> you'll have to forgive me, my friend. <laughs> today, I would ask the question: Who among your friends is better off today than they were before? Right. Go ask them why. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned the colleges. I want to get back to just some of the anger. It's and you mentioned you needed security. Um, there are those on college campuses. Not only will they not allow you to speak, but if you try. They'll literally beat you down. Yeah, I mean, I know it's the, the physical, politics can the, get you can get confrontational, but when was it okay in this country to do that to the point where conservative was. voices mm-hmm. have essentially been? You look at Berkeley, not nah, not going to do it. You can't. What are what is the other side so afraid of that they have to beat you up if you try and speak? You know, the the Burr Hamilton approach to politics didn't work out well for fifty percent <laughs> of that equation, didn't it? <laughs> I, I would, for those of you who didn't study it, it's the duel. Yes. Um, just throwing <laughs> yeah, that yeah, out yeah, there yeah. for the millennials listening. Uh, <laughs> a little bit older now. After, I think after, the millennials, after 30, 30, I think millennials aren't as dumb as the media no, portrays. No, but there are there some that don't get it. Um, but, but you know, look, it, what, what's happened now with the violence is passion has become violence because of ignorance, I believe. And I've seen this in rallies. Because once you start arguing that rationale, that's the word people should remember. Once you start arguing rationale, yeah. some will look at you and go, you know, actually that doesn't make sense. They can't defend it. And I've done this at Bernie rallies. Uh-oh. I had someone turn their vote by talking to me at a Bernie rally. Ardent Bernie supporter came at me angry. Mm-hmm. We talked. She looked at me and went, wow, this was an NYU student. Yeah, I, Really, that doesn't add up. She called my radio show said, I can't vote for this. <laughs> They're out there. So they are listening. They you are. Just got to get through. If you got to engage them. Yeah. So, so that's an important component of this. The violence. The violence comes from a point of ignorance and fervor. Passion that goes out of control. And frankly, where they think they're a little bigger than themselves. Yeah. And they think they can get into it. And I'm, I don't advocate violence, but I also believe in self-defense. And in situations where we have seen people being attacked, I will say this to those who are with the people being attacked. There's a right to self-defense. The student at Berkeley who was punched, yes. and I, I talked yes. to him off air, interviewed him on here. I can't remember his name right now. I said, was there a point at which, given that the guy had a gun or threatened that he had a gun, that he was going to shoot him and all these things. But when he hit you a few times mm. and he started to walk away, I said, did you think you shouldn't? Maybe I should chase him down and fight back. And I told him something. You're going to lose the fight. Guy was bigger than you. You're clearly not a fighter. Right. Now, I'm not going to probably lose the fight unless somebody's well-trained, but you're going to lose the fight. But fighting back when necessary with passion, facts, or if you're attacked, defending yourself needs to be part of it because that sends a signal to the left. And, and again, I'm very careful to say that this is not about advocating violence. But it is about realizing there's a level of force and a level of threat which must be met at some point. In between, I wish that law enforcement were allowed to do their jobs. Yeah. Because mayoral agencies and mayors stop police officers, most of them in this country, of the 800,000 or so more law enforcement told in this country, are very good people who want to do their jobs and where there's a crime. They don't ask, were you a Republican mugged by that Democrat or were you a Democrat mugged by that Republican? 
No, they say, were you mugged, and can you identify the perpetrator, and we've well, got a often, job to but, do. But often you can't, because these Antifa guys, they, they, they wear masks. They're, Fine, pull the mask cowardly. off. They're cowardly. They won't even uh, pull identify Pull the mask themselves. off. They, you know, I, I have run into that. Yeah. And I can't remember whether it was Occupy Wall Street or, oh, yeah, I covered or that where too. it was. Yeah. Oh, no, it was covering a Trump rally mm. for us, for Fox. Cameras were on. Yeah. My... Uh, my shooter, well, let me use that term correctly. In this yeah. term, my cameraman, we mm-hmm. call him the shooter, photographer was yeah. there. My photographer was there. I had my security around me. This was in Suffolk mm-hmm. County, and uh, Tim was there as the producer. And this guy started coming up, and he started doing the whole dance. I'm going to get in your face, yeah, and, and everything. Yeah. So you know what? I tricked the little punk, and he took off his mask while we were shooting. I said, "I can't understand you. You're muffled. I can't hear you." And it was a hot day. So you know what? He pulled the hood off, and I said. And I looked at him, and they suddenly realized, oh, crap, they've got my face on camera. Pull the mask off in some way. Trick them. Do it. Because once you do, you find that a lot of them are hiding their faces Mm -hmm. because they don't have the guts to face Exactly, and that's what annoys me so much. Yeah. Violent, and also that they seem to get away with a lot of this stuff. The police yeah. have their hands tied behind what their back. What we saw, well, that's the mayoral agency. Right. We're back to that. Yeah. We're back to the orders being given by the political body. And that's wrong. In Portland, where they took over an intersection, yep. they went after the Lexus, and I think it was Alexis mm-hmm. broke the window out. Mm-hmm. They didn't even know who the heck this guy was, but right. they did it. Well, you know what? There's a point to fight back. Because back to what I said about Marx and Engels. Mm. Marx and Engels wrote in the early days and in their manifesto that essentially while they have the guns, we're nice. When we have the guns, we're not. We're in a period where whether it's guns, knives, sticks, or whatever, they're starting to use violent means. And at some point, they have to be stopped. Fortunately, we have more law enforcement today. So let's them do the job. But if you're caught in your corner, defend yourself. And hopefully we won't have to get to that stage. And, of course, the, the campaign season is starting to really rev up now. We've got God knows how many Democrats. We continue to lose count on that. But well, actually, there, I've, got, there, I've got a number for you. Yeah? Well, <laughs> but do you – is there any among that crowd that stands out? For a while there was Joe Biden because he's the moderate, and ultimately at the end of the day the radical left will not put a candidate against Donald Trump because they don't believe that person can win. I'm not so sure – whether Biden can survive a bruising primary among his own yeah. party well, members. He's going to need a lot more Botox to cover the bruising. Um, <laughs> every, I, call I, him, mean, I call him Botox Biden. Sorry, President. I know Sleepy Joe takes. works for you. Sleepy no, Joe. no because, because the guy's getting work done. For crying out loud, you're an yeah. old man. Look like one. Okay, yeah. at least Bernie looks like an old man. Um, but he doesn't sound it compared to Joe. No, you know, Bernie's got energy, man. Yes. He comes out there. The president I've talked about is like, would you run against him? But, but, but to Does the it people, matter who runs, though, do you think? Because Trump's going to be Trump. Let Trump be Trump. I was in Orlando for the kickoff. In 90-degree heat for 11 hours, I still have the tan. Oh, my, I see it. my white <laughs> privilege is gone, and my lines are there for my sunglasses. But, but, but there were 15,000 people on that field in front of me from early morning and night before and day before to get in there. And they're there because Trump has done something, and he's, he's he, one, he came into the race with 100% name recognition right. to begin with. Mm-hmm. And he ran over everybody impolitely at times. Yep. Oh, no. But what he is is genuine. Whether you do or don't like him, Americans go, he's real. Mm-hmm. You know, when the locker room talk came in, you know what yep. wives went? 
My husband does the same thing with his friends, and I hate it. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. I wish he wouldn't do it, but I know he does it. He's real. On policy, when he talks about things, he comes to the American people, that shot from the three-point yep. line, and then or he drives it into the hoop once in a while and <laughs> says, boom, I'm going to do this. But he does it in a way where people go, I, I may not like the method, but he ain't wrong. Yeah, He said something key coming down the escalator, and he said it again in Orlando. They're not working for you. He didn't say Republicans or Democrats. He came uh-huh. out and said, they're not working for you. Mm-hmm. They're not making it work. And the minute he did that, a lot of people went, he's right. He ain't wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whether they said he's right or he ain't wrong. He yeah, often says, David, I feel like he says what everybody thinks but are too afraid to say it. He has no filter. He has no fear. Right. And, and who else did that well? well? He was a lot smoother in his own way, but it was Ronald Reagan. Mm. Ronald Reagan was really direct. Yep. But he mm-hmm. had been a governor. He had been, he knew how to work the political yeah, he, speak. Mm-hmm. He was a good speaker. And, and he was done. Let me, let me give you an example of where Trump is right and people get it, but they all start and focus on the wrong thing. Comes down the escalator, he says, they're criminals, they're some are criminals, I'm paraphrasing, some yep. are rapists, yep. and some are good people. So they hear the first two and they do the third one and they forget about that. Mm-hmm. Now, if Ashley Webster or Brian Solomon walk in and order a BLT sandwich and you say, Can I have a bacon, lettuce, and tomato, or can I have a tomato, lettuce, and bacon? Is it the same sandwich? Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Of course. Mm-hmm. It's the same ingredients. Well, yeah. Let me, well, let me ask. This election is going to break all the records when it comes to campaign donations, money raised on the campaign trail. And I've been talking to some of the people that run the super PACs and mm-hmm. they're fundraising, and they're saying both sides. Democrats are saying Trump is great for us because all we have to do is walk into a Democrat fundraiser. They're so they hate they hate Trump so much. People are opening up their wallets, say, "Take my money." And then the on the on the other side, the Republicans are saying we just have to walk into a fundraiser and say, "Look." You're going to have to have Bernie or Biden or Kamala Harris as your president. Take my money. I need Trump. <laughs> and you saw President Trump broke the record for this, what, 24, 24 million, million dollars in, in 24, 24 hours. hours. With two which Bernie's going. An hour. Yeah. Bernie's going home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we thought it was impressive that what Beto was like. Seven million in a boy. He's dropped off the uh, face of the earth. Yeah, he and what's he going to do with his seven million when his campaign's over? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or actually, what's he going to do with your seven million? Right. Those of you that gave him your money. So what's this mean? We're going to see all this money spent. What's this? What's this mean to the, us? The money is a reflection of the desire by people. Mm. When you look at the campaign donations, look, you do need the big packs and the money. That's the reality of money in politics. You know, I wish it was a shorter cycle. That's another story. You're going to, yeah, Me January too. 1 of the election mm-hmm. year. Yep. I don't want to hear from you from that till yes. then. Well, in the yes. UK, Fine. it's six weeks. <laughs> six weeks. I'm willing to give them six months. I'm willing <laughs> yeah. to, well, it's I'm, a big country, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not that big a country. I'd like six weeks. I'm willing to give them six months. Fair enough. <laughs> well, okay, so until November, somebody's going to say you got the math wrong. Okay, right, really right, right, okay, right. But you get my point. <laughs> but, but the money's a reflection, and when you look at the donation breakdowns mm. for candidates, they sell the idea of the wealthy Wall Street, which, by the way, both people go to, mm-hmm. uh, both sides. But it's really small donations that are also fueling the Republican dollars. I look at the numbers. I'm a data guy. I love data. It's geeky. It's fun. <laughs> you have big dollars and small donations. To your point, Trump raised that much money because that many people went, 
That's where I need to place my bets. Are there people playing both sides, corporations, whatever, sure. who cares? But the candidates are getting a reflection of their base. One man raised $24 million. All the Democrat candidates together since their announcement, mm-hmm. individual campaigns, have probably come close to $24 million. All of them combined. Combined. Why wouldn't a business and go for a business, a company, whatever you want to call it, why wouldn't they go for the Republican ticket anyway, regardless of whether it's Donald Trump, whoever, because typically the Republican candidate is going to be the pro-business candidate, as we've seen with the Trump administration. Deregulation, get the red tape out of the way. Let's lower taxes. Let's allow people to invest in more you know, factories and and hire more people and grow and expand, which is what has happened, by the way. This economy's been doing very well. I can't understand why anyone would say, no, I want a Democrat president who's going to nail down regulation and take away more of my profits. It makes no sense to me. It makes no sense, but there's a separation even in companies. You'll have the people at the top, the CEO, someone has a particular ideology, they're a liberal, whatever. Okay, they're Rich millionaires and billionaires. Right. And they can give a lot of money. But if they have 100 employees who go into a booth individually and make a decision, that employee is going to make a decision at the kitchen table. A friend gave me a quick example. I'll give it to you. He said his mother, for the last however many presidencies, has picked the president regardless of party, not who she liked. And he said something very key because she, as a high school graduate with a GED, you know, just an average Mm -hmm. everyday American. Is closer to the voter and what matters to the voter than he is. And he's a PhD. His dad was a PhD. And he said, We are thinking in different terms and intellectualizing this. He goes, But my mother goes, He's going to win, and here's why. She's closer to the voter. And most <laughs> Americans are at that level. Yeah. And they go into that booth one at a time. Mm-hmm. So, your prediction, you believe, what, what could upset Donald Trump's effort for a second? Uh, term. I mean, at this point, I mean, we're a long way out. I know that. But at this point, with the, to me, the Democrats appear to be in a bit of disarray. We'll see how the debates turn out, whether someone comes through. Um, but regardless, um, is there anything that could trip him up? The economy, if the, suddenly the economy turns south, right. could that be a, 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 a well, factor? Look, people vote on the kitchen table, therefore the economy matters. That's big. But there's another factor in there, and you talk about this on business, and I mm. know we all think about it. It's confidence, consumer confidence, how people feel. There's another component of this, and Larry Kudlow and I have talked about it for years, and as part of this committee, we've all worked on these issues with the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Mm. If people feel that they can tolerate the downturn and ride it out for a better future, they'll go with that. I'm going to give you a billionaire example, and I'm going to give you a poor person example, because I've got both spectrum. I have a friend who's a major builder, billionaire. His company rode out 2007 and 2008. Mm. He's got multi-billion dollar projects over the years that have gone on. And when things got bad and he looked at it, he said, I'm going to make a decision. I'm a billionaire. My company's this big. It's family owned. But I can ride this out and keep all my employees. And I won't cut staff. And I I may not give high raises, but everybody's going to ride this out together Mm -hmm. because I want to be on the other end of this curve. That's the billionaire example. And many people with large companies or large operations see that now within the Trump, uh, call it the Trump economy. And the president gets to get 100% credit, but they set the stage. The poor person 
guess what? They think the very same way. But they also think and add opportunity. Do I have a shot? Oh, man, things are tough. I got to decide that little Johnny can only play one sport this year. Mm-hmm. And, you can, and you're and you not going to camp for six weeks. You're going for three. Uh, honey, I'm sorry. We got to just get the car. Whatever. Yeah. So down at that lower income level, they're using the same principles. It's can I survive it? And they add. A lot of people will. And I talk to them. You know what? I think there's a shot for me still out there. Mm. Those two components go back to how people vote and how people see themselves. If there isn't a world-changing event, a massive economic upheaval, yeah. then Donald Trump is in with the natural advantage of an incumbent of five to six points historically. And mm-hmm. I think this one possibly more because of the curves that are bending yeah. in, in block voting. I think he wins re-election even in a tight race. Or there's a scenario for a blowout where he Mm. wins this thing hands down. Mm -hmm. What's the key issue? I mean, obviously, immigration has been one that's getting all the headlines. Health care is frustrating. The Republicans Mm -hmm. have not really come up with a plan that they can hang their hat on at all. Uh, other than just repealing Obamacare. And that's been the number one issue for all the Fox polls. Yes, health care. And I'm not sure whether the Republicans are getting that message out. They're lousy at it. Not good at messaging. No, they're lousy. They're not not good. They're lousy. (laughs) Okay, lousy. Because what you have in Washington, (laughs) to Trump's point, they're not working for you, is both Republicans and Democrats. And they love the system. Remember, the handsomest man or woman in the whorehouse. That's Washington, D.C., And believe me, it still exists. And there are those that I know have said to others, we're just going to ride Trump out. You know, he gets four years or eight years. We're going to wait him out. And those are Republicans, Mm. like Democrats. Yes. Yes. And they have, by the way, it's not new to Trump. They did it to Obama. They, the president's there for eight years and he's out. We're here for 30 years. Which yeah. way do you think they're going to see this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. So that, that's an important part of this is they're just waiting him out. He, he is going to have to simply stay on message, focus on the economic issue, mm-hmm. ask you that question. Are you better off now than where you were before? And if your friends are better off, ask them why it's better for them and try to copy that. And, and he's got to push a, a vision, opportunity. The American dream is opportunity. It's not an outcome. You know, Ashley's much better looking on TV than <laughs> I am. He wears a much better tie. That. He's got the accent. It's I the mean, make- for crying yeah, out loud. It's the makeup. <laughs> but, but it's who you are and who you want to be. And yeah. Brian, you know, great producer, a podcast Thank host, you. obviously. I didn't even know this about him till now. Oh, yeah. I, he surprises me oh, yeah. every day. Well, I don't want to give the everything away in the beginning. Right. You, know? like, you can't stel- tell this the on the podcast. Talent. That's he's, it is. he's also a very natty dresser, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. He <laughs> takes fashion risks, which I'm impressed <laughs> Big with. Big risks. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you are, and like many Americans, looking at what do I want to do and who do I want to be? Yeah. And if you keep that dream alive or that possibility of that dream alive for Americans, they will go with you. And Americans, you know, my call it the last point on this question yeah. is Americans are reticent to give up what's working. Yes. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think what I love about do you think we're used to Donald Trump now as president? For the for the beginning, it was like, oh, my God, what's going yeah. on? He isn't doing anything like every other president has done. And then we kind of said, you know what, this is kind of refreshing. Now, those that hate him said, told you, he's, he's yeah. you know, he's going to blow up the world. Paul Krugman, the next week. end of the markets, e- end of the world. Exactly. Boy, yeah. was and, wrong. <laughs> but are we kind of getting used to this Look, president? We get, we get used to stuff. 
all the time as human yeah. beings, right? Yeah. You get used to the new dynamic or you've accepted it. Do you really think that people somewhere in Midwest Kansas or the Tennessee Hills or yep. Central Valley, California, wake up and the first thing they do like us because we're in this business Okay. Yeah. What's happened? News. What happened today? Oh God! Mm-hmm. Trump tweeted. What? Did... Yeah. No, they uh, wake up and they're like, "I got to get the kids off to school. I got to get out of here. I need to right. shave. I need to." Most exactly people are, right. They're getting and they're getting used to it. And you know what? The left did him a favor by attacking him so much. They just kind of wore out the effect. Yeah, because that's all they've got right now. They don't seem to have a whole lot of their own. Uh, you know, progressive ideas. Okay, we have Elizabeth Warren and, and the fact that most of them want to give away stuff for free. That's kind of the message we're getting. Right. You know, they're selling free. They're selling free. Think which, about that selling free. Just selling work, free, work free for concept. all. How do you sell free? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, to all of these points that we've made, I think it does play into Donald Trump's uh, second term in the Oval Office, unless, as you say, there's some unexpected event. But but I, I even then. And I was going to say, and then even then, he's going to be hard to beat for whatever the, whether, what do they call them, idiot savants, or I'm calling the president <laughs> an idiot, yeah. but he just gets television, and a lot of people don't, and he gets the media. He, he gets marketing, he gets presence, he gets stage presence. General Patton, yep. in his third army speech, America loves a winner and will not tolerate a loser. We love the big league ball player, the fastest runner. Yep. You know, for those of you that remember that speech, mm-hmm. America loves a winner and will not tolerate a loser. But it's not the politician they love. It's America yes. who's the winner. People make up America. When somebody's winning, why are they going to give it up? Mm-hmm. They're not. All right. We're going to have to leave it there. We could go on forever, David. You are such a wonderful guest. Uh, you should think about doing this for a living. I'm just <laughs> saying. You think I have a future After in this? 33 <laughs> not years. Bad. Not 25, I mean, David. you know, I think Brian can tell us. Should I do this, Brian? I think sleep on it. Sleep, sleep on, on it. it. Okay. Sleep on it. Think All about right. it. You don't have to make a decision now. <laughs> send, your res- send your resume on over. David Webb, thank you so much. Catch you on SiriusXM Patriot, Patriot yeah. 125. You got it. And when are you on? 9 a.m. to noon, Monday to Friday. Well, I'm but you on know what Vani I do? at that time every day. So I that's know. Why. This is, and I miss that. Yes. Yeah, Brian, has, come on, David. Can you come over? I'm on the air. Yeah, but, we used to love to have David, you come on. Phone. Come on. Can I want to be part of the company yeah. again. Ashley, you and I had oh, so much we fun had doing fun. that. Oh, I well, know. Well, maybe in the future. Well, but, uh, we're not competing. We're educating together on different platforms. That's there what we go. like to think. Anyway, David, thanks again so much for being here. Appreciate it. And come back. We have much more to talk about in Anytime. the political world. Thank I'm, you I'm so much. By. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. We'll catch you next time. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.